Good morning. Hey, so good to see each of you today. Thanks for coming. Uh, if you don't know, my name is Eric Matoy, Pastor Grove, and we're thrilled you're here. If you're a guest, thanks for coming, and uh, we know you're going to enjoy the service. And welcome all those tuning in on our podcast or on Facebook Live. Thanks for tuning in. Good to have you guys. Um, hey, before we jump into the message, I want to just give a huge shout out to all of our technical team, our light crew and the, the sound, people in the sound, Brian here on the camera. He's running the camera for us for, for Facebook Live. Uh, can we just thank them for doing what they do? So, so they do such a good job. I'm so grateful. So as a portable church, every single Sunday, we come early in the morning and we set up the stage, set up the lights, and we set this up to take it down every single week. And sometimes that means cables break. That means things don't work. So a few weeks back, we had at the movies, and the last at the movies, we almost didn't have it for the first service because um, things weren't working. Our cable, One of our cables broke. Our backup cable wasn't working, and the backup to that backup cable wasn't working. And uh, we were like just minutes away from service starting, and I'm, I'm already going like, okay, I need to prepare something different because the movie's not going to work. And our team worked hard, and they got it together. And so uh, I just want to thank them for all their hard work. And, um, yeah, it's, it's great. So uh, we typically only notice the tech people when things aren't working, right? It's like, come on, what's going on? What's, what's happening here? And we tend to not notice them, which, is, which means they're doing a really good job when we don't notice them a lot because that means they're, they're, just, they're just making things run smoothly. So thank you guys on the soundboard, um, rest on the computer, Irving, um, all the guys that came, ladies that came in and set up everything this morning. Thanks for coming in early. All right. Awesome. Hey, we're going to jump into a series that we're calling Worship. And for the next four weeks, we're going to go through um, what really what, what worship is about and how we can engage in these different areas of our life when it comes to worship. And today we're going to talk about that. Um, now, worship is a, it's a massive topic. We can really spend a whole year talking about all the different aspects of worship because it's multifaceted. It covers a lot of different areas. You know, sometimes we think of when it comes to worship, we think worship is what we just did a while ago with the singing. And, and that's true. That is part of worship, but that's not all that worship is. You know, we, we, we sometimes label things like the fast songs as praise, the slow songs as worship. And uh, we, we, we tend to sometimes put the idea of worship in just a Sunday morning. And although Sunday morning is, and a lot of things that we do, in fact, even what you're doing now, part of this is learning and when it comes to scriptures and praying and Bible, that's all an aspect of worship. But it's so much more than that. And uh, so we're going to talk about what that looks like. And here's the thing. When it comes to worship, here's what I know about all of us, all right? We all worship something. There's not a single person alive that doesn't worship something. And the reason is because the way God created us, he created us to search for purpose and meaning in life. He created us to search for purpose and meaning in something. And so everybody on this planet is looking for purpose and meaning in something. And they'll look in all these different ways, which means with, with that being the case, that means there's not really a true atheist because even atheists look for purpose and meaning in something. And a lot of times they say, they say, they, they put, they say well, there's nothing to it, so they just kind of – but they spend their whole life trying to prove that there's nothing to it, right? So it's, they're trying to find purpose and meaning even in the belief of what they believe. That's their faith and, and, and no faith, right? And so everybody has it because there's an, a, um, something made inside of us to search for something beyond us. Uh, and this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. We search for purpose and meaning outside of who we are. So something is going to get our love. Something is going to get our attention. Something is going to get our adoration. The question is, what is it? So if you look in our world, if you notice, people are really good at worshiping. If you look at uh, the basketball game happened a couple weeks ago, a couple nights ago, the, the championship or the championship is happening in one of the one of the, in the finals. Right. And people are worshiping there. there. There's some worship going on or maybe the players of, of, the, of the event, whatever it is. There's a lot of things going on. We look around. We see people worshiping all these different things. We're good worshipers. It's just what we worship is really the question. What are we worshiping or who are we worshiping? So we all worship something. Uh, Ravi Zacharias says it like this. Life is not made sacred by going to a place to worship. So your life, just because you go to a place to worship, doesn't make your life sacred. In fact, life is already sacred. 
That is, and that is why it moves us to a place of worship. Does that make sense? Like, we, we have this sense inside of us saying, there is more to life than just what I, what I just mean, what, what I'm being told, what I'm seeing a lot of times. There's something greater. In fact, you look around at creation, you look at the stars, you look at the planets, and now with science, we have a lot of things that are showing with DNA and, and the, the, the fingerprint and the, the code that God put in us. Like, it's all pointing to a bigger message of saying there is a creator, there is purpose, there is meaning in life outside of just these 80 years, 70 years, right? These few moments, these few hours that we're here on earth. There's something more to it. As we look around, we all have this, this sense of, of wonder and awe when we say there's something else going on here. And uh, we begin to worship. So we have this already in us. There's, there's this, it moves us to a place of worship. The question is, what exactly are we worshiping? Um, one, one of the best ways maybe to define worship is this. Worship is our response to what we value most. Whatever you value most in life is what you put first, and that is an indication of what you're worshiping. So if, if you value money the most, money goes at the top, and money becomes your God. It becomes what you worship, right? And for your whole life, you'll try to make more and more and more of it because that is the, the, well, that's what you assigned as the most valuable thing in your life. If it is relationships, then you put relationships. It, whatever it is, whatever we value most, our worship is our response to that thing. It's always, always our response. So with that being said, we have to be careful what we choose to worship because whatever we choose to worship, eventually we become obsessed with, and then we begin to imitate it, which means then we become like that thing. Uh, so the question is, uh, is if, if, if you don't like who you're becoming, then you have to take a good inventory of what exactly have you put at the most, as the most valuable thing in your life. Because whatever that is will lead you to become who you're becoming. So if you don't like it, take inventory of what you're worshiping, and that will begin to show you really what in your life what you're worshiping. See, Jesus had this conversation with this woman, a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman at a well in the middle of the day. She, didn't, she went in the middle of the day because she didn't want to be around people because of, of what was going on in her life. And, he, and Jesus sets up this, this, uh, this God moment where he meets with her in the middle of this, this moment, just the two of them, they're talking. And she's searching for meaning and purpose in life and all these different things. And, and Jesus says, you'll never find it in all those things. But there's somebody here that can help you find it in the true purpose and meaning of life if you, if you trust me. And they have this conversation. And then she takes the conversation from finding purpose and meaning to worship, which is just a natural progression, right? Who, what exactly is it worshiping? And she says, well, you guys, you Jews say you worship it there. We, we Samaritans say we worship here. So what is it? How exactly do we go about doing this? And Jesus makes a statement and says, hey, there's a time that's coming. In fact, it's already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The, 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 the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. So God is looking for worshipers who are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What is he saying? Worship him in the seen and the unseen. Uh, with action, with our words, with our, with our deeds, with our behavior, with what's true about us. It's our motives and our intentions. He's saying there's these, it's, it's all of who we are. Not just what is seen, but it's also what is unseen. I like the, the paraphrase, the message paraphrase of this verse in John 4. It says, it's who you are and the way you live that count before God. What is he telling this woman? He's saying, on a daily basis, who you are and how you're living, that's what matters most to God. It's the conversation you're having. It's the actions you're doing. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. So he's saying there's something else going on that's deeper than just the externals. Something else there. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before them in their worship. And this is not just on a Sunday morning where we're singing songs or we're at, at church service. This is on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. It's those people that are honestly themselves before God because God, sure God is sure being itself spirit. 
Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. He's saying it's deeper than just the externals. See, religion is always about the externals. But God, Jesus came to set relationship with God as the most important. And relationship is not ex- as external, it's, it's internal. And so if we, if, as Christ followers, as Christians, we always look to Jesus as our example, right? We want to be like him. So it means a Christ follower is you're following Christ's lead. A Christian means you're trying to be like Christ. And so we look at his example. Jesus, he modeled the worship for us, not just in, in, in word, but also in deed. He, 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 said, he, he said the same things in front of people as he, when he was behind the scenes. When he was in front of the crowds, he was the same way as he was when, he, when nobody's watching. And his, he was the same public and private. His motivation, and this is what he said about his motivation. His motivation was always to bring glory to God. Over and over, he says, I'm here to bring glory to God. I'm here to bring glory to God, to, to, to make him the most important thing. I'm here to do that. In fact, Romans 12, 1 through 2, uh, Paul tells us, he says, here's, here's what worship. You know what worship's about? Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as worship, as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. It's key word there. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from what? The inside out. We, as people, tend to try to fix things from the outside in. Like, well, if I just put on a happy face, if I look nice, if I, if I laugh, all that, everybody will think it's okay. But on the inside, there's something really going that, that's not right. God is saying, work on the inside. And eventually the outside will be taken care of. See, we, as humans, we like religion because religion gives us a sense of control. If I do these things, then I'm okay. But really, it's a lot of externals. Religion is always focused on externals. And God is saying, I'm not, I'm not con- only concerned about the outside. I'm also concerned about the inside. And true worship comes from the inside out, not just the outside to, for so everybody can see it. It's not just a show, but it's something who you are. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. This, is, this goes on with what worship is. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So God is wanting to do something in you. So we can say it like this. Biblical worship is the full life response to who God is and what he's done. It's the full life response of our head, of our heart, and of our hands. And so the next three weeks after, after today, we're going to talk about those three things. What does it look like to have our, 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 our head, our heart, and our hands in alignment with what God is wanting to do? Because it's, it's the full life response of what, who God is and what he has done. Essentially, it's recognizing that God is God, that we're not. We recognize what he's already done, and then how we fit into that story. That's, that's really what biblical worship is. It's giving us a proper perspective that he is creator, we're creation. He is sovereign, he is Lord, and we show honor and respect because of his, who he is and what he's done. That's what true worship is. So we can say it like this. True worship, it centers on God, not on us. True worship centers on God, not on us. See, sometimes people go to church and they'll be like, man, that was a great worship service. Well, what do they mean by a great worship service? Usually it means, I like the songs they sang. That guy in the front, he was awesome. He was so good at what he said. Like, it inspired me. That was a good worship service, right? And it usually points back to what we got out of it. Where in this case, worship is really, true worship is centered around God. So if it was a good worship service, really what it should mean is that you came and gave God your best in your singing in your, in your attention, in whatever you're doing, right? In your giving, in, 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 your, in your thanks, in your praise. Every, every aspect of it, a good worship service means that you did really good because worship is for him, not for you, right? It's, it's making God the center of it. 
Now, the benefits of as we do that, there's some benefits that come with that we'll talk about. But it's really saying it centers around God. And here's the challenge that we have is, is when, we center around, when we don't center on God, uh, we, we, we get out of alignment. We, we begin to focus on other things that aren't as important. In fact, in our culture, there's a couple of ideas that dominate our culture. One is humanism. This is taught in our schools, right? This is the major idea that everything revolves around man. Man is the center of everything. Like this is, everything has evolved to the point where we're at because of man. Like we are, we are the center of it all. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that God created us for purpose and meaning, but it's not to be the center. And there's not a single human being that's ever lived or will ever live that will make life meaning, meaningful enough for us to give everything we have to that person. Why? Because they are just human. They are just temporary like we are, and they will die just like all of us. They're not powerful or strong enough to continue on anything else. That's it. So we make man the center. It just shows that we worship something that's very weak because we are all weak. We're all temporal. Right and temporary, and 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 eventually it'll, it'll go away. So that's one of them. Humanism is that life circles around man. That's not what the Bible says. Like God is the center. He and we put when we get in the right order, we get the results that God says we'll have. Now another one, uh, a major theme in our culture right now is hedonism, and what that means is that feelings rule the day. Like well, it feels good to me, so you can't tell me that what what I think is right is is wrong, and what 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 you think is is wrong is right. It's, just, it's, it's what feels good to me, so I'm going to follow it. And if you notice, if you follow any cultures, if you look through history, it doesn't take long to see. Whenever people go down the path of saying, let's just do whatever feels good, let's have the, um, the, 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 they call it freedom, but it's really license. Let's have the license to do whatever we want. Those societies never last long. They crumble pretty quickly. And little by little, when we say freedom, we really mean license, and we say let's do whatever we can. But when we, when we realize that those things are taking us down a path that are going to lead to destruction, it's never good. And because culture, a lot of times that becomes one of the dominating forces, we begin to, 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 to give in and say, yeah, you're right, to whatever feels good. Well, here's the problem. Feelings will lead you, lead you astray all the time. They will always lead you astray. They're not, they're not bad in themselves, but when they dominate your, what, how you live your life, they will lead you down. Why? Because when you chase feelings and you try to, you try to fulfill your life with, with feeling good and feeling better, let me just tell you something. There's not enough of anything on this planet that will satisfy and fulfill all of your, your, your hunger and your appetites. There's not enough food. You can eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and there'll be more food that you want. There's not enough money to make because once you get to a certain amount of money, what are the, rich, what, what are the, the things they ask people that have a lot of money? How much more money do you need before you're rich? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And these are really rich people that just said, hey, just a little bit more. No, they were already rich. They didn't realize it. Why? Because they were chasing more and more of that. There's not enough drugs, not enough sex. There's not enough of anything that will satisfy your deepest needs. Uh, one philosopher said that there's a God-shaped hole in our life. Or there, another one says there's a God-shaped vacuum. Like there's this void inside of us. And, and only God can fill it. And what do people do? We try to fill it with all these things, popularity and drugs and, and all these pleasures and what happens is we always end up like, huh, it just, that was fun for a while, but it just was never satisfying. And God's saying, you're right, because you were never intended to find meaning in those things. Even in good things that aren't bad, like food, that's a really good thing, right? I mean, who loves some good food? Those are good. But when we, when we make that the most important, it leaves us wanting more. And, and, and the Bible is always about order. So, so God is a God of order. And he's saying, if you'll, if you'll get the order right, your life will work out. And his order, if we look at his big ten, right, the, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, what is number one? Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. What is he saying? I'm number one. 
And if I'm not number one, I'm really not on your list. Your, your list is a different list. And he gives us the free will and the choice to actually choose that. Like you have the freedom to take God off your list and not care and put you at the first or put whatever money at the first or whatever it is. But what happens is when you don't have the right order, you can't expect anything that God says is good to happen in your life. You can expect the opposite, that when you're the center, you can only expect what you can get and what you can give. And if you chase money, at some point you won't have it. And you say, well, yeah, but money buys happiness, doesn't it? You buy, you buy friends? No, it, it just, it just um, uh, convinces them to be for, there for a while. But once it goes away, are they still there? No, because they were there for the wrong reason. They, they, you didn't have their heart. You just had something that they desired, and it goes away. But when God is a sinner, he's saying, if you put me first, get the right order, it'll work out. So, so if worship is it, it's not just on Sunday morning, but it's on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and it's, it's when nobody's watching, and if it's everything we do, everything we do has potential to be worship, then, then uh, that, that's, that's the, one of the main things when it comes to worship is realizing it's not just Sunday mornings. It's a big part of worship, but it's not only that. In fact, I think what we do on Sundays is, is only a picture of what worship could, like, could look like on a, on a daily basis. So when we come and we worship and it, and it focuses and centers on God, what are we saying? We're saying, all right, God, because if you're like me, on, on a Sunday morning, you're coming with the week, right? You're thinking like, man, I didn't get that done, and man, that wasn't a good meeting. I have to fix that. And Man, all these things are happening, and I don't know if I have enough money for that bill. And we bring all the week with us into the Sunday, right? And Sunday's the first day of the week, so we're starting the week off. And if you're like me, I get to church, and I'm like, all right, God. That's all kind of bugging me, but right now, this moment, man, I'm going to just focus on you. What do you want to say? What do you want to do? And I put all of those distractions to the side, and all of a sudden, Paul says we magnify God, we glorify him. We're saying, all right, God, you get all my attention right now. You get my focus. What do you want to say? And all of a sudden, all these things that are bothering me so much, begin to, the weight of those begin to diminish. And I begin to say, all right, God, what do you want to do in my life? What are you trying to say here? And I get realigned. I get, I get his perspective. I get... I get Whatever I'm focusing on, I begin to say, what, do you, what is it you want to speak to me? This is why Sunday mornings are so important because we're starting our week off by saying, God, all right, I want my week to start with you as the first thing on the list. So would you be glorified? And we magnify what he wants, and all of a sudden we begin to get better perspective. And a lot of times even these things begin to take care of themselves because we're not trying to force things. We're just saying, God, we trust you in it. Some of these things I can't fix anyways. I can stay up all night every night, and they're not going to ever get fixed. But you know what to do, so would you fix them? And when we put him first, we get the right perspective. Um, and, 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 and so a Sunday morning just gives us a picture of Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Can you imagine your week if, if you viewed worship as, all right, God, I'm going to spend a moment to say, I'm about to work, but would you help me have your perspective in work? How would you treat maybe the people around you differently? How would you treat the workplace differently, your family differently, if you lived as a worshiper in every moment of your life? Where you're saying, God, I'm going to worship in the seen and the unseen. I'm going to worship when nobody's watching and whenever he's watching. I'm going to give you priority in my life. God, I'm going to put you first. What would your life look like in your family, in your relationships? I guarantee it would look drastically different than it did last week if you would say, God, I want to be that kind of person that worships in every single day of my life, everything I do. Because real worship is not just on Sundays, but it's a lifestyle of what we choose to do. Uh, there's there's a, um, a verse in Psalms where the, the psalmist is, is – is, the, the song we sang in the beginning actually talks about one of the songs we sang. It, it says, God, not to us, but to your name be all the glory. And it talks about worshiping God. And then it goes into this, this part of the, the psalm where it talks about idols and idol worship um, and, and worshiping other things. And it says this, but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. Their mouths, they have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, they, they can't smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They can, they can 
nor can they utter the sound with their throats, which the psalmist here is saying, the throat is where they would talk about the soul. They don't have life to them. There's no life in them. They're dead. They're, they're just a man-made thing. So an idol that's carved, whatever we've made, a bird, a reptile, whatever it was, or a structure of a man, like they're worshiping these things. They're making a, whatever this belief is about this thing, but it's not alive. And he goes on and says this, those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So if worship is everything, doing everything, every, the, our lifestyle, everything we're doing, if that could be considered worship, really, why, why is it so important? Why does God care about worship so much? Because of this verse and what it says. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. We can say it like this. We become like what we choose to worship. You become like what you choose to value the most. God knows this principle, that whatever you put at the top of the list, you will eventually become like. So if you're worshiping money, at the end of the day, what does money really have to offer? Nothing. It's not a lie. There's no relationship. I could buy stuff, yeah, but at some point you run out of it. At some point you die and it doesn't go with you, right? It's left. So what does it offer? And you don't have to look very far to see in our life the things we worship, how far does it take us? Some of us worship popularity, and we scroll through the face, Instagram and Facebook all the time, and we're like, man, that per- person has a perfect life. I wish I had a life like that. And what we begin to value the most, and, and really the, the way to test our people's value is you ask the question, what do we do when we don't have anything to do? So how do we spend our time? How do we spend our extra money? How do we spend our, our energy, our resources? That's an indication of what we value the most. So in our life, what are you valuing the most? And if you begin to put the value of, I need to be popular, I need to fit in, I need to, and you spend all your time surfing and looking at other people's lives, and, and really, the truth is, you're not even looking at somebody's life. You're looking at the highlight reel of the best of the best they want to show you. And when we get sucked into that belief of, like, if only I had these things, we begin to value those things, and what we don't realize is we're not even getting a true thing, a true life. We're only getting things that we think that they're like. It's not reality. It's only a part of the story. But whatever we value, whatever we worship we begin to be obsessed with and we begin to imitate and we begin to become like that thing. So why is it so important that we choose why is it what we worship? Because we'll become like those things that we worship. And God knows that. And so he's saying, you need to choose. If you don't like who you're becoming, he's saying, pay attention to what you're worshiping because you'll become like that. There, there was a, a false god in the, in the Old Testament um, and, and the people begin, their hearts begin to turn towards it. And, and this god, they would offer their kids to, to this God, to on, uh, burn them as a burnt offering. Like they thought like if they give their kids as a sacrifice offering to this God, they would have more, in this case it was more sex, more kids, more other things. And so they would sacrifice something that was real for something that was an appetite and, and a desire. And what happened is they became like the thing, right, that they were worshiping. It wasn't alive. It was dead. It brought death. And that's what it produced in them. Because God knows whatever we choose to worship, we will become like. So in your life, who are you becoming like? What are you becoming like? You don't have to look far to see. Is it about popularity? It's a good chance you're, just, you're, you're, you're worshiping at the altar of popularity and who's famous and all that. And those aren't – God doesn't – and here's the thing. When it comes to liking things and caring about things and even um, enjoying things, God wants us to. He, he created us with that, with that to enjoy life and to want that. His issue is when we put it above him. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, God, you're not first anymore. You're like four or five or six. Like, this is better. This is more important. And he says, that's fine. You can choose that. But just know when you take me up, when you put something above me, I actually leave the list. And you just get the results that you want because of the way you did it. The way you order your life, you can expect your results from whatever you want. 
But if you want my way, my order is always I got to be first. Why? Because he knows that, like, like the, the uh, Romans told us, he wants to produce something good in us. And when we put him as the value, we begin to reflect him and look like him and talk like him and act like him. What does that mean? His nature, his goodness, who he is. How many, how many of us could use some more of Jesus on the earth, right? A million more Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, that's what he's trying to do in us. He's trying to make you more like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He sacrificed. He loved. He cared for people. He fed people. He helped. Now, we can use a whole lot more of those, and he knows it. So when we worship him, we become like him. We become like him. We begin to live our character out the way he wants to. And that's why he says, choose wisely what you put first, because everything else will fall in line, and you'll become like that. Because this is what he knows. God knows this. Why it's so important is because he knows that what gets your attention gets you. This is what advertising is all about, right? Advertising, advertisements are trying to get your attention to say, hey, hey, let me catch your attention. You're missing something in life. If you have this fancy car, you're going to have a lot of friends. You're going to have a lot of fun. You're going to have a lot of whatever. And the more they catch your attention, eventually they capture your heart. And then you start believing they're right. My life would be better if I had that fancy red car, right? And then you begin to chase that. And after a while, that becomes the most valuable thing. And all you do is chase that nice, fancy car, which is not a bad thing. You should, you should have a nice car eventually, right? But if it becomes the main thing, then you miss out on the relationships around you. You miss out on what God is wanting to do in your life. You begin to chase things. Because whatever gets your attention eventually will get your heart. It'll, 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 it'll capture the value and it'll capture who you, who you, want, who, who you, um, who you are. Because um, here's what happens when, um, when it comes to life is what we believe, it always helps determine how we behave. Our values and what we believe, our beliefs, they, they, will, they will determine how we behave and ultimately who we become. So when God says, you need to, I want you to worship, but worship the right things, worship me, worship in the right way, what he's saying is, I want you to become somebody that, that you were designed to become. I want you to find purpose and meaning, but, but trust me in this. I created you. I know how, how it is, and what we believe always determines how we behave and who we eventually we become. Uh, let me show you this. Um, it's a diagram. It's called the results cycle. All right? um, I learned this in coaching a while back. I think it's one of the most fantastic things I've learned as I coach other, other, other church planners like that and, and just different people. Um, it, it helps. It's so helpful. This is what it says. Beliefs at the top, right? So um, our beliefs, this is what we hold true to be about people, what we hold true to, be, to believe about God, about power, about relationships, about work, about money. So our beliefs, whatever it is that we hold to be true about these things, right? That belief, it'll determine my behavior. So my belief in something will determine how I behave about that thing. So for example, um, if I believe work is a hassle, then when I wake up on Monday, how, what's my behavior going to be? Oh, I have to go work again. Man, I hate this, right? If my belief about work is great, like this is an opportunity to do something good, my behavior will be, I'm going to show up early. I'm going to do something different, right? So my belief is going to affect my behavior, which and our behavior is how we act, how we interact with others, how we interact with things, right? Which then influences our quality of relationships with things or with people or with our bosses or with our coworkers. So whatever we believe leads to our, our behaviors, which then impacts our quality of relationships, and then our call relationships, that would be the degree of openness we have, the degree of trust or rapport with others, or how we handle things, right? The quality of relationship we have with the money. Are we always in debt? Are we able to be wise with our money? It affects our quality of relationship with those things. Whatever we believe about them affects our behavior, which affects our relationship with that thing, which then affects the results that we get. So notice how my behavior affects my beliefs, which then affects my relationships, which then gives me the results that I'm getting. 
So um, my outcomes that I create are from, notice, not from my behaviors, but they're from my, my values. They're from what I believe. And so, and then what's interesting is our results then reinforce our beliefs again. So if you're getting negative results in work, and, and your belief is work sucks, right? Like literally it sucks the energy out of me. It, it sucks all the energy out of the room when I am show up because what I believe about it, when we, my behavior is no good. I'm showing up late, I'm doing poor, poor, poor work, which means I have a bad relationship with the people around me. They don't like me because I don't like them because I don't like work, which means the result is, man, it's not good results. Then it just reinforces. Monday comes again, and what do you say? Work. Oh, I have to do this again. And it goes in a cycle and a cycle and a cycle, right? This could be marriage. What are your beliefs about marriage? Man, if marriage is good, my behavior is, honey, I bought you some roses. And the relationship is, man, this is awesome, right? Here's a nice hug, kiss, whatever. Um, which then you get the results of, wow, this is pretty awesome. Which then reinforces, man, marriage is pretty great. And in everything we do, it really starts with our values and our beliefs. What we, what we say, what we believe, how we hold to things and saying this is what's most important. And it always just reinforces and goes over and over. So the, the way we change really is by, by changing our values and, and our beliefs. And so when, when God is saying, pay attention to what you're worshiping, he's really saying, pay attention to what you're holding the most value on. Because worship means it's something that we, we assign a value to, right? And so when we worship something, we are then saying, this is going to impact my behavior. It's going to impact my relationships. It's going to impact the results I get. Saying, have the right values. Have the right, if you want to have good results, start with your values. And, and, and what you put first is most important. What you say is, is, is first is, is really important. That you don't miss that. And, and, and when it comes to worship, really God is saying, I want you to see things the way I, I, I see things. In worship, when you, when, when you begin to say, God, I'm going to magnify you. I'm going to make my focus on you, not on these other stuff. He begins to give us the right perspective and says, hey, you know, you've been, thinking all, you've been thinking this way about work, but really, you should be thinking this way. You've been thinking this way about school or about your, or your family or your kids, but really, you should be thinking this way. And what happens in worship, and we put God first, he begins to say, let me change the way you think about things. Let me change the way you hold your value, how you, how you value things in your life. He says, let's change that, because then it'll begin to change the way you behave, which then will change the relationships, the quality relationships. And give you better results. Uh, my chiropractors say they call it a pattern disruption in our lives. When things aren't going in as a bad pattern, you have to have at some point a pattern disruption. And I think Sunday mornings, I think if we live this way on a daily basis, you can have a pattern disruption every day that says, all right, am I, am I approaching this in the right way? God, help me to see this. And Sunday mornings are a great pattern disruption because if you had a bad week coming up to Sunday, hey, good news. It's a new week. You don't have to live last week this week, right? You can let go of that. Yesterday ended last night, right? You're free to carry it with you if you want, but it's not going to help you. So a pattern disruption says, all right, God, I'm starting my week off by saying, what do you see that I'm not seeing? What are you trying to say that I'm not seeing? Uh, Psalm 73, in a couple weeks we'll talk about it. The psalmist, he's so frustrated. He was looking at somebody's Instagram uh, feed, and he's like, God, look at these people. They're, they have it easy. Like, man, everything they want, they get. It's so easy for them, and they don't even serve you. They're wicked, and they're cheating people, and they're doing all this. And he's so mad at God because these wicked people are getting everything he wants, and he's not getting it. And then it says, but then I went to the house of the Lord. I went to church. I went to the temple, and I began to worship. And in that moment of him saying, all right, God, I'm going to put Instagram to the side, and I'm going to focus on you. And it says in that moment he realized, God says, hey, you're looking at this all wrong. So you're seeing the, 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 the immediate. But what you don't see is just a couple of years down the road, they're on a slippery slope, and they're on their way down. And everything they think that's good is going to end in, in, in a really bad way. 
And, and the psalmist says, I realized that I was focused on the wrong thing. And you know what it took him to change his perspective, to have a pattern disruption? Worship. It took him a moment saying, all right, God, I'm giving you the focus. It's not about me. What do you want to say in this moment? And he saw the reality. See, this is what worship is. It's saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my attention, my focus on you so you can help me have the right values and perspective about life. What would your marriage look like if on a daily basis you're saying, all right, I'm going to this conversation and my belief right now is, man, it's not going to go good. But God, help me to see what I don't see. You're going to go to work and you're about to start on Monday morning. And before you start, you say, God, I'm going to can I just focus some time on you. Can I start the day off by putting you first and saying, God, what do you want me to see that I don't see? What if he told you today's going to be a great day? You're going to be able to impact somebody's life through your through opportunity to the work, the place that I put you in. Like there are coworkers there that today a conversation is going to happen that's going to change their trajectory of their life. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, work can be actually really important. There's these moments that I don't want to miss. And if we had the right perspective, we'd have the right beliefs, which means we'd have the right behaviors, which then would in, impact the relationships that we have, which then would give us the results that God wants us to have. So why is it so important to worship God? Because when we have the right start and we put the right order, we get in alignment with the right perspective, we have all the outcomes that he says we'll have. So worship is huge. Worship is important. And when you have that perspective, when you come to church on Sunday morning, it's not just something that we do before service that's a filler, right? Like, ah, we just have to, have to add some more stuff to it. No, it's, it's a very important part of our service that says, God, we're starting off by thanking you, by praising you, by worshiping you, by adoring you. What are we saying? God, we're putting you first. In our middle, the beginning of our week, you are the first thing that we're going to acknowledge. We're going to put our perspective on you. And what happens when you walk in on a Sunday morning? You're, something, the atmosphere changes. Your, 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 everything you're going through begins to get a better perspective. Things begin to change in your life. This is why Sundays are so important. But if you'll catch, it's, Sundays are just a picture of what should be happening on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Saturday. Are you with me? That's what real worship is. It's saying, God, what is your perspective in this moment? How can I see what you see, not just what I'm seeing, not just what I'm feeling? What do you want me to see in this moment? And when we live as worshipers in that sense, man, can you see how Wednesday can be really exciting when you're going home from, from work? It's like in this moment, God, what do you believe at this moment? You have an opportunity to have a great relationship with these kids. Why don't you, don't, don't miss out on it. Do something that he helps lead us and guide us. Why? Because we're saying everything we do is, is, is an act of service. In fact, in the Hebrew mindset in the Old Testament, worship wasn't just about singing. It was about service. It was the things that we did with our life. It's, it's the daily things and activities that we're doing. That's part of who we are. That's worship. Um, so he's saying keep going forward. Uh, you know, one of, one of the things that this last week that happened is we sent a whole bunch of kids to kids camp. Um, I love kids camp. So as a church, there's a couple of things, especially parents, if you're in this room, make sure your kids get to kids camp and make sure at some point you send them on a missions trip. Um, because kids camp does for what, what, what Sundays does for me, right? It, it gives me a better perspective. Uh, kids get away from the video games. They get away from all the influences of the, of the day. They get alone with, uh, with, with, with uh, other campers and, and they have night services. So two of my, two of my kids, they just got back from camp uh, Friday and um, my third, she's, it was her first year at camp. So I'm really excited. And, and when they get home, we're asking questions. She's like, dad, I did the zip line, which is massive zip line and it's long and uh it took a lot of courage and, and bravery for her right and so we're celebrating that but when we sat down for dinner i asked her that really what i wanted to ask her is hey what happened on the nights because at night is when they have the services and uh they sing songs and they learn lessons and and she's got that the guy was so funny they showed this video and i learned these things she said dad i was able to pray for grandpa uh, i prayed that god would heal his back my dad had surgery on his back a few weeks back and so shane she's like I, I prayed for grandpa that god would heal him i'm like that is awesome like what is happening to my daughter in that moment 
her, her perspective is saying, hey, it's not just about you. There's other things going on. Don't forget about these people. And, and for me, growing up, that was what camp did for me. Like, I had this pressure all year long to say, who are you going to be? Are you going to fit in with the popular? Are you going to try to please your parents through your life? And at camp, God would say, no, no, th- those things are, you know, it's important to, to get along with people. But the most important thing is, who, are you gonna, who, are you, who am I calling you to be? And it realigns our perspective, right? And it's, it's a form of saying, God, I'm, I'm learning to put you at the center of it all. So, so important. So parents, uh, send your kids when, whenever opportunity. God will impact their life, uh, I promise. It's such a great thing. And the mission trips, and you don't have to send your kids. Parents, you can go too. If there's a mission trip that pops up, there's something about when we take our worship outside of Sundays and we say, how can I live a life that would, I would give up something and sacrifice something so somebody else could experience God's love? See, when I grew up going to missions trips, I would go out into these different countries, very poor countries, third world countries, and I would see that my worldview, it would shift away from everything we see here in our states, which we're blessed, it's amazing. When you don't have a lot of the stuff that we have in other, other places, you begin to realize, like, wow, we're very fortunate, we're very blessed. But also you see things about other cultures that is different. And for me, it's kind of like, as I was going to this, what was happening is God is saying, I want you to align with my purposes. Don't get so focused and just go fit in with culture, whatever they say. Learn to see what else is going on. And my worldview was, was expanded. And God was saying, let me give you a better framework, a better worldview that you can see life through. So at camp, um, one of the songs, my daughter, my oldest daughter, she came back. She was singing. She showed us the, the moves they did and all that. They, they do some dance moves with the songs. And it's a great song. And here's, here's the words to the song that she was singing. My response will always be to praise no matter what comes. I know that I will choose to praise forever. This is one of the, one of the verses in, in, the, in the song. I, I loved it. As the song is singing, pretty, pretty cool song, and it, it, was, it was good. And, and she came back with this on her heart. Why? Because in those moments, she's saying, I'm getting a different perspective. That is one of the best perspectives as my daughters could have, is that no matter what comes, my response, God, will be to praise you. Week four, we're going to talk a lot about that, what that looks like. But what does that mean? That no matter what we're facing, if we say, all right, God, this part of my life, it really does suck. It really is hard. But I'm going to change my perspective saying, God, what do you see? And a lot of times God's going to say, yes, but it's only temporary. It's only a while. See, in, in the, the short five seconds that you live on this earth compared to eternity, the choices you make, they matter where you spend eternity. They matter of how you respond. See, what we value on earth is an indication of what we'll value in heaven. And if we don't value the things of God here, why would we value them in heaven? And why would we even want them? It's a choice that God says, here's the test. Here's what I want you to, to learn on earth is that life is not about you, but it's your choice. In fact, C.S. Lewis says it great like this. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. See, in our life, when we say, God, you're first, I put you first. The order is you and then all this other stuff that you have for me. We aim at heaven. We get everything else. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else will be taken care of. But the choice is yours. You can aim at earth. You can aim at what's temporary. And you could spend your whole life chasing pleasure. You could spend your whole life trying to fit in, be popular. You could spend your whole life trying to be, uh, to have power. But at the end of the day, once your life is over, so is that kingdom. And you don't gain either. You miss out on everything. But God says, if you will put me first, if you'll trust me. You know, I remember growing up, um, I was in high school. I was trying to serve God. And I had, I had people, that, friends in school that, that weren't Christians. And they'd be like, man, why do you do this? Like, Man, you, you, you're like, life is no fun. You don't get to do anything. You don't get to go party and you don't get to sleep around and all this stuff. It's like, man, you're, like, you're taking all the fun out of life. I didn't, I didn't say this at the time because I didn't know what to say, but exactly, just I was making a choice. And what, really what my choice was is I'm choosing, I'm choosing to trust God that sees something that I don't see in the future. 
I'm choosing to say there's something more. So I'm going to sacrifice, say no to something that I want now so I can say yes to something down the road that is so much better. And what's interesting is some of the friends that I went to school with that said, man, you're, you're not even having fun. Like it has shifted now where what they thought was so much fun has now created all these issues and problems in their life, right? Because they weren't looking down the road. They're just looking at the moment. And what they thought was so great chasing and having fun and sleeping around became all these other issues that began like all the, all, that was created this where I said, I'm going to make a choice to trust God and just say no to some of the things that he says I should say no to. And I don't have the issues and the hangups and the, I have my own issues and other stuff. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I have my stuff, but I don't have to deal with a lot of things that they thought were so cool because they fit in, right? Because it was popular. Worship is saying, God, I choose to put you first and trust you for the outcomes. Because you see something that I don't see. And the fun that they had for four or five years, six years, now has led to years and years of misery. And in some cases, death, because many of them didn't even live because of the lifestyles they chose, took them early. And I don't have the same sicknesses. And I don't have the same issues that they had because they chose fun for the moment. They chose to the most value was the moment. And I'm saying, God, help me to do this. It was easy to know. It was very hard at the time. But I'm so thankful that Looking back, I look back and I say, I'm so grateful. And the reason I say that is because I see young people in this room. And I know the pressures you feel to fit in. And I know the pressure there is to say, if you will just do these things, you'll fit in. You'll be popular. And let me just tell you, no, yeah, you might be for popular for a little while. But in three years, four years, five years, all those people go away. And what are you left with? If you'll say, God, I trust you, what do you want me to do? Five, six, seven, ten years. He'll lead you on a journey that's going to help you become this amazing person that will make a difference with your life. And the work is in the front end of saying no, 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 and it's difficult. But the benefit is you begin to see the outcomes are so amazing. And it's just saying, God, I trust you in those moments. So true worship is saying, God, what do you, what do you see that I'm not seeing? So when you're at school and you have the pressure on you and you're at home and you have the friends pressure on you, if you're at work and you have this pressure on you, it's saying, God, what are, you, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? And how can I see that? How can I come into alignment with you in that? See, so if worship is the full life response, head, heart, and, and hands of who God is and what he's done and how we fit in the story, then what, is it, what does it look like to do that, to give God our best? I would say this, that giving God your best in all areas of your life is worship at its core. Learning to give God your best in all areas of your life, that's, that's what worship is at its core. You know, there's, there's a verse in, in, in Malachi where God is so disappointed with the people of Israel because it says he, they're bringing their animals, so their sacrifices of animals, they're bringing their sick and their lame. They weren't bringing their best. And see, God required, he says, if you're going to bring your offerings, bring your best, bring your first, give me the best. And they were bringing their sick and their lame, their leftovers. Essentially, they were saying, no, you're not the most valuable God. Having money, having all this stuff is more valuable, so I'll just give you my leftovers. When I have time, I'll give it to you. And God is saying, what happens is you took me off the list because you put other things as more important. And here's the thing. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our time. He doesn't need our life. The reason he asks us to put him first is so our lives work better. The benefit is for us, not for him. When we put him first, life works. And when we don't, it doesn't work. And he knows that. And so what he was saying is, as you give, bring your leftovers, you're not giving me your best. What you're doing is you're saying, my values are more important than yours. And he says, that's fine. It's your choice. But you'll get whatever you can get, not what I'll give you. If you trust me, put me first, I'll give you everything that you could possibly ever want. Because I know you better than you know yourself. I created you the way I created you to make a difference. Like, you were created for a reason and a purpose. Wouldn't it be awesome to know exactly what that was and to God to lead you in that? Because it's unique. 
It's not my calling. It's not my, my purpose. It's yours. And if you could come alive in that, you would live a life that's so full saying, man, I'm, I, I'm so glad that I lived that kind of life because that was what I was created for. God knows the poor people that you can feed. God knows the difference you can make on this earth. If you would just submit and say, God, help me to discover that purpose. Help me to live it out. And you only do that by saying, God, I put you first. I'm going to trust you for the outcome. I'm going to trust you for the rest. You know, Romans 10, 9 says it like this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What is Paul saying? Salvation is saying, God, I put you first. You are the leader. You are Lord. You're the boss. You're the one I worship. It's getting things in order. So in a second, I'm going to ask if you're here today, to, you're out of order and you need to put things in order, I'm going to give you an opportunity for that. But let me just challenge the rest of us in this room. Um, this week, what would it look like if we would live that kind of life that says, God, give me the perspective that you have that I don't have when it comes on Monday in the middle of the day, when it comes when yeah, the, the work is piling up and you're frustrated and you're overwhelmed. If you pause and said, God, what, is it, what does it look like to be a worshiper in this moment? Help me to see this. Imagine what would happen this week if we would live that way of saying, God, help everything I do to be worshiped to you. Now, for the rest of us and the other people in this room that would say, you know what, as you talk about putting God first, I'd be honest enough to say, I have not put him first. I maybe put him second or third or fourth. Some of us in the room might even say, God is not even on my list. And I've been getting the results I've been getting because I've taken him off the list or he's not on the list. But today, I want to put him first. This is me being a Christian means is that we follow his lead. He's one and we come alongside behind him. And so today, if you're here and your life is not in order, it's out of order, out of alignment, you don't have the right perspective or worldview, the starting point is always saying, all right, God, forgive me. I want to put you first. See, Paul says, if you'll confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what is he saying? You're saying, God, you're God, I'm not. God, I, I, I know that you, he had purpose in bringing your son down on that cross for me so I can have life. And we confess and we say, God, I, I choose to trust you. Do me a favor, close your eyes and bow your head as we end our service today. If you're here today and um, you would say, you know what, I'm, I do not have the right order in my life and I need to put God first. I need to ask God to forgive me. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to say that to, to him. And it's most important that you're saying it to God, not to me. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer and it's really a prayer of relationship saying, God, forgive me. God, help me to follow your lead. But if you're here today, I'm not going to call you to the front. Right there in your seat, I'll just lead you in a prayer. But if you're here, would you let me know you're here by just lifting your hand saying, that's me. And I have not put God first and I need to put him first. I'm not getting the results that I really want to get, and God, help me to see better results. Awesome. A lot of hands going up. Anybody else? Awesome. See your hands. Wow. That's the best thing we can do as, as a community, as people saying, God, help me get the right order. And that's why worship is so important because we're saying, God, you're first. If you pray that, if you raise your hand, would you pray this prayer with me? If you're Christ Father in the room, would you pray with us so they're not praying alone? Pray this with me. Say, say Father God, today, I confess my sins, my wrongs. Forgive me for not putting you first. Today, I choose you as Lord. I confess you as God of my life. I choose to worship you. I put my trust in you. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on that cross in my place so I can have new life. Help me on this journey. Lead me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate. I saw about 20 hands go up today. Isn't that awesome? Many hands saying I rededicate others, maybe for the first time. So, so good.